Man, that was really good. I felt like I needed theme music after that. That was awesome. Um, really good to see you guys. Do me a favor as we get settled in for a quick teaching time. Turn to whoever you're sitting next to and say, your prayers were answered. I'm sitting by you. Go ahead and tell them real quick. That's right. I am uh, the lead pastor for an organization called Crosspoint, and we do have locations everywhere. Michael, um, if you'd wave at everybody, Michael, so they know you're here. Uh, he's our local connection here in Sterling, and there are so many great churches here. Let me just encourage you, whether it be uh, at a Crosspoint or a church across the street or across town, doesn't matter. Uh, these churches don't just need you to show up and fill seats. There are places to help in youth ministry. There are places to grow and uh, gr and create great intergenerational relationships. And I really want to encourage you that you would take your spiritual life to the next level by not letting chapel be the only time that you have some kind of formal Christian education, some formal Christian interactions. There are so many opportunities, and I want to really encourage you to do that. But then again, you thought a pastor would say that. So let's talk about some other things. How about we talk about Jesus? Can everybody say Jesus on the count of three? One, two, three. Let's try that again. One, two, three. I want to talk to you about the person of Jesus, and I want to talk to you about him in a way that if you're not a follower of Christ, and I recognize that there are probably several of you here who are struggling with uh, not wanting to be or whether or not you are. There are some of you who absolutely are. You're running hard at that, and I, and I, I want to encourage you as well, but let's just take some time and put some things in perspective. I want to take a few moments, and I want to look at Jesus, the meta narrative of Scripture, which means that if you've ever read the Bible, you know that there are people like the Marcionites of the 14th century wanted to throw away the Old Testament. They said the Old Testament couldn't have anything to do with the God of love in the New Testament. But you've got to have the Old Testament prophecy to validate the New Testament coming of Christ. And if the New Testament coming of Christ didn't come, then the Old Testament prophets weren't there. It all ties together. What we're missing is that Jesus, one more time, I want to say that name. Let's say it together again. One, two, three that Jesus is actually not showing up in the New Testament, but he is the hero and the thread of every story from the beginning to the end. And sometimes we get that out of place. I don't know if you had the same struggle that I do, but I have what I call a galactic struggle in my life. Here's how this goes uh, early on. If you go way back to Aristotelian studies, uh, of, cor of course, Aristotle, what you're going to find is that Aristotle used to claim that the earth was the center of the universe and that everything rotated around us. Now, that sounds so stupid, doesn't it? Except you still say sunrise and sunset. That's where that came from, that the sun went around us, right? That's, that's where that came from. So we still have a little bit of that hanging over. Then Copernicus came along and said, no, that was crazy. We are heliocentric. The sun is at the center and, and the earth and several other planets rotate around the sun. We're like, oh, good, we've advanced. But here's what we know now. Even our sun is the center of our solar system. It actually is orbiting around a place in the center of the Milky Way. And now, are you ready for this? The Milky Way is part of a huge expansion and is on some kind of rotation. We don't even know how far it goes. Here's the issue. Most of us wake up Aristotelian every day, and the whole universe revolves around us. The sun rises and the sun sets on us. And what we don't realize is that there's such a big, expanding universe. I want us to look through the lens that, God, if, if I'm right, now I could be wrong, but this is what we're going to do for the next few minutes, that if we look at Scripture, the viewpoint and the letter of God, if Jesus is a thread that is woven through that whole thing, then maybe the center of the universe in which everything and everybody, everybody say everybody, that everybody should orbit, is this person, 
of Jesus. Now, I'm going to make a few claims. We're going to roll through some different scriptures. So let me just begin here with the first one. You're going to see in Colossians 1.16. I want to pray after we start here, but I want to begin with this statement. When it comes to Jesus, I believe we can see him everywhere. He was before the beginning. That red line up there, I want you to say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. He was Let's check, let's check some prepositions in this. For by him, everybody say by him. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. Everybody say through him. And for him. Everybody say for him. This is amazing because what this is stating is that Jesus Christ was the, we know that he is the author of creation. It's not that he showed up in Luke chapter 2 with the shepherds and the angels. That's a great story. We're getting ready to read it. And I love the version of Linus telling Charlie Brown uh, in the Christmas special. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. I love the story of Christ coming, but that is when he came. That is not when he was made. As a matter of fact, he was never made. He is the unbegotten. According to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. That's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. <gasps> there he is. In the beginning, before everything, there he was. So when did he show up? You're asking the wrong question. I'm going to blow your mind. You ready? Do you realize that part of what God made was time? We try and put him on a timeline, but he's not on a timeline. He made time. Can I get an amen in the house? Let me help you out. This really helps me because I've always been very troubled by an old hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I say, love that part. Next part. When we've been there 10,000 years. <gasps> 10,000 years? I mean, I've been in some good worship services, but maybe an hour, hour and a half. 10,000 years? I don't know if I can do that. I'm going to get kicked out of heaven. Is anybody with me on this? I might make it a millennia on a good year. But 10,000, C.S. Lewis says this, heaven is ab above the constraint of creation. It is before time. It is not about being there millennia. It is not about being there eons. It is about the fact that we exist in the eternal now. You see, you take that best moment, whether it was that first kiss that you ever had, was it the first time they gave you an A on a test, was it, was it that moment that you just cherish, and in that particular moment, it is the greatest moment ever? C.S. Lewis says that is the eternal now. That is the moment in which we live. We won't fall from grace because there's nowhere to fall. We will exist in perpetuity in a way that we can't understand because Christ was there before creation. We exist within creation, and therefore he exists outside of creation. So even in the beginning, everything, everybody say everything. It was made for him and by him and through him, so we're in him. you got to understand that in all of creation, we see Christ everywhere, but it's a dim reflection of who he is. He is above all this. He was before everything. Can I get an amen in the house? With that as the background, I want to walk through Scripture, and I want to look for Christ, this narrative, this thread, and hopefully when we see this, it will draw us to him, and he can become the center around which we orbit our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for today, and I pray in the name of Jesus that as we see you existing above and beyond before all things, that you would help us to understand and see differently so that our lives may orbit and surround and be focused upon for, by, and through what's truly important. For it is in Christ's name we pray and all God's people say, 
All right, so now here he is in the beginning. I want to take you to the beginning of the Bible, though. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Did you know he was in the garden? Say that line with me. Ready? One, two, three. He. No, 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 no. He showed up in Luke chapter 2. We've already established this. Nope, there he is in Genesis 3, 15. God is speaking here. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, what is going on here? you got to understand that God made everything. There was nothing ex nihilo. By the word of God, let there be light. And by the rhema word of God, even as he spoke it, all of nature, which wasn't even there before, came into being and then obeyed him. It says at one moment that God called the mountains out of the sea. Oh, I wish I was there for that moment. When God said, mountains, here, boys, and the mountains were, oh, yes, sir, and they got up out of, can I get an amen in the house from anybody, that, that he made birds and trees and rocks and everything, and, and in that, when, when he got done, he, he said it was all good, but I want to do something very good, and he made a perfect place of paradise, and he got some mud together, and he made a man. Ladies, does it make sense that God made men out of mud? Does this make sense to anybody else? So don't worry, you were made out of our spare parts, so don't get cocky, y'all understand? So, so he puts this mud pie together, and, and he pokes a couple of eyes in it, and he breathes the breath of life on it, he goes, ah, and Adam went, daddy. And there he was, and, and God said, go, I made this all for you, and he set him loose in the garden, and a couple days later, he comes and knocks him out, and he goes, you need help. And he pulled a rib out, and he made something to look like us, but only much better, and, and he set both of us loose. There we are, male and female, in his image, we are the image of God. He sets us up, and he goes, now that is very good. Not just good, that is very good. Look at whoever you're sitting next to him and say, you're part of very good. Go ahead and tell him. You're part of very good. Yes, you are. And God said, for this, here's what I need you to know. The whole garden, it all belongs to you. Every time you hear the wind blow, that's me whispering your name. Anytime you see a star twinkle, that is me winking at you. I made it all for you. Everything is for you. Just show me your love by doing one thing. Stay away from one tree. One tree. By the way, I know now we see dimly and then we shall see clearly. So the way I am today is not the way I will be then. But if I am anything like I am today when I get there, after I lay my crowns down at Jesus' feet and sing hallelujah at the crystal sleeve, I'm going to find Adam and jack slap him. He had one job. Stay away from the tree. But this slithering, seductive serpent came sliding up to Eve and says, hey, he's there, you Hebrews hotties. How about you have the bites from this tree? She's like, no. No, 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 no. God said if you eat from that tree, you die. Oh, he didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, he did. Well, he's a liar. Shut your mouth. God is not a liar. Yes, he knows that if you eats from that tree, you becomes just as wise as as he is. I don't know why the devil sounds like Gollum. I have no idea why. And then we always blame Eve, right? Because Eve says, oh, it says she looked and she saw and she started to want and she took and she ate. It was Eve's fault. You know what it says? Then she turned and handed it to Adam. So in other words, Adam started this long chain. Have you ever gone out to eat with your girlfriend, guys? And you're like, where you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. That, that, that's Adam because he's standing there the whole time. She goes, should I eat this? He goes, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? And, and she takes a bite and then hands it to him, and he takes a bite. 
Guys, I don't know if you know this. It wasn't just a matter of simple disobedience. Before that, there was no cancer. Before that, there was no murder. Before that, there was no rape. There was no hurt. There was no pain. There was no bullying. There was no... There was no anything that was outside the will of God. But when they ate from that tree, they ripped the hole in time and eternity and everything that hurts and everything that causes pain and everything that causes suffering now had been held at bay, came rushing in on humanity, and God should have wiped us out. He should have hit control, alt, delete, rebooted the system, wiped it out, and just started over. That's what we deserved. But he didn't. He gave us in the garden that very day the proto-evangelium, the first good news. He sat Adam and Eve and the serpent down. He said, Adam, what have you done? He goes, I don't know. I did what she told me to do. And she goes, I, we did what the snake told us to do. And, and so he goes, Adam, here's what's going to happen. Adam, you're going to work and you're going to hate it, but you can't keep from working. Here's part of your curse. You're, you're going to work, and you're going to till the ground, and it's going to fight you back, and you're going to hate it and cuss it. How many know a farmer? You all know what I'm talking about? They hate it, and they're always mad about it, but they can't quit doing it. And they're up every morning before the sun goes up, and they're down before the sun goes down. And, and, and he says, that's your curse. You're going to do that. And, and Eve, you know what your curse is? You're going to love that moron. That's your curse. And you're going to babies. It's going to hurt. Take that. And then he got to the serpent. He says, and you, you low-down, dirty dog, for you I'm going to take your arms and your legs, and you're no longer going to crawl around, but you're going to slide through the dust of the earth, and people are going to hate you. I'm going to put enmity between you and humanity. This is the verse behind me on the screen here. I'm going to put enmity between you and humanity. By the way, if you say, oh, snakes are cute, you're of the devil. I just need you to know that right now. <laughs> if you're a herpetologist, maybe God's called you to something special. I don't know. But, but, but God said it was okay for us to hate snakes. And we hate snakes. And it's because of this moment right here. And, and here's, what, here's what you need to understand. He said one day. Everybody say one day. Nice and loud. Everybody say one day. Right there. He said one day out of you two broken human beings, one day an offspring will come out of you. And that offspring is the promise of mine. He will, as you strike his heel, crush your head. And we will fix this. We will restore this. And everything will go back because one day out of you two will become one of mine, my son. There he is in the garden. Jesus in the garden. Can I get an amen in the house? Next. I don't think you're excited enough about this. Let's try the next verse. He was in the prophets, Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You say, that's about Jesus on the cross. Yes, absolutely it is, but do you realize that that was written 700 years before Jesus? 700 years before Jesus. Because throughout the prophets, God made the promise in the garden, but the prophets kept saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. One day he'll be here. Our Savior will show up. Our God will redeem us. He will fix this mess. Can I please get an amen in the house? Yeah, let me make sure you understand how important this is. He was in the prophets right there. There he is. We see him right there. There he is. Do you realize that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament? And if, if that's not remarkable to you, let me make you a statement. If one man, everybody say one man, fulfilled eight prophecies, everybody say eight, 
If one man fulfilled eight prophecies, the statistical probability of that is 1 to 10 to the 17th power. That is a 10 with 17 more zeros after that. Now, for you statisticians, you're like, whoa. For the rest of humanity, we're like, big number, big deal. For one man to fulfill eight of those prophecies was 1 to 10 to the 17th power. The statistical number in anecdotal form is this. Imagine the state of Texas. I know we've got some Texans in here. I've talked to some of you already. Huge state. Y'all think it's bigger than the country. I don't understand that. It's a big state. I want you to imagine the state of Texas, but it is covered two feet deep in silver dollars. Two feet deep in silver dollars. One silver dollar, we spray paint black, and we hide it somewhere in the state of Texas two feet deep. Now, we take you, put a blindfold on you, spin you around, let you walk for three days, and without taking the blindfold off, you have to reach down and pull up one coin. The statistical probability of one person fulfilling eight of those prophecies is the probability that that one person in the state of Texas would find that one coin. Now, let me help you out with this. There weren't just eight prophecies. There were 48 messianic prophecies. Everybody say 48. Not just one. Not just eight, but 48. And there were 324 total prophecies of which Jesus fulfilled, this is a theological term, every stinking one of them. Every one of them. There he is in the prophets as they waited and prayed and hoped that he would come. There he is. I'm, I'm excited. You're, you should be more excited about this. If you don't think he was there, how about this? In the next slide. He was also in the Psalms. Psalm 22:1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you Wait a minute. Most of you even pause right there. That, that's that's Jesus, isn't it? A thousand years before Christ hung on the cross. This is what it said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But let's go to the place in the Gospels where Jesus is hanging on the cross. And I know that if you know the story, the sun went dark from noon until three. And everybody says that's when God turned his back. And the You know, I know that makes for good theater, but I have trouble with that verse. Because if God turns his back on sinners, then we're all going to hell. God does not turn his back on sinners, but he gave his one and only son for us, and Christ was on the cross. Why was it dark? I don't know. Why were there earthquakes? Why did dead people get up and walk around Jerusalem? That would have been a moment in the market. Hi, Aunt Lisa. Aren't you dead? All creation groaned when its creator was on the cross. And from the cross, Jesus speaks into the darkness. Oh, wait, wait, he didn't say, my God, my God, for what? He said something else. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It's the only thing he said on the cross in Aramaic. And because he spoke it in Aramaic, they quoted it in Aramaic. Why? Why did he speak that differently? Guess what language was being spoken still? Our version of Sunday school, their synagogue. They spoke Aramaic. In Aramaic, they would communicate with one another on their Saturday worship services. And do you know what they did? They did what we just did. They sang hymns. And do you know what their hymn book was called? Anybody know? The Psalms. So, so just like a few minutes ago, when I, when, when I sang, when we've been there 10,000 years. Help me out. Yeah, pray straight. You'd finish it. Jesus started singing a hymn. Dun, dun, dun. 
The reason it's in Aramaic is he started singing it in the same tongue that they would have in the synagogues. He started a song in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And just like you did there, guess what? They would have started singing the rest of the song in their head as well. Let me take you to Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, verse 3, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel in your father's and in, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered. Verse 6, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by all people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. If you're familiar with the crucifixion story, that's a near quote from one of the passers-by. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. Many bulls encompass me. Many strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart melts like wax. It is melted within my breast, and my tongue is dried up like a potsherd. I'm thirsty, he cries from the cross. For dogs encompass me. Some of you are going, he's stretching. He's stretching. Addis is stretching up there. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me. An evil company, uh, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. There he is! Great googly moogly! A thousand years before the cross, there he is! He was in the garden. He was in the prophets. He was in the Psalms. Where else was he? Oh, we lost everything. There we go. He was in the Gospels. Well, you say that's an easy one, but, but more than what you're thinking, when I say he was in the Gospels, look what it says. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I don't see the scripture reference. That's John chapter 1, verse 21, 29. Hey, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away. Do you know what that's a reference to? We, we use it, but you have to understand that for millennia, for millennia, as they were waiting on the Psalms, as they were waiting on the prophets, there was a sacrificial system. And do you want to know why we don't deal with sin very well in our culture anymore? Why when somebody's stuck in pornography or we're in infidelity or we're cheating or lying, we don't deal with it because nothing dies in worship anymore. I want you to think of what it would have been like if you had to bring the family pet. And you brought him up to the pastor and the pastor said, what's Fluffy? How old's Fluffy? Fluffy's a year and a half? Okay. Everybody say goodbye to Fluffy. And they hold Fluffy's head up and they pour his blood out on the altar. I know, inappropriate, totally inappropriate. That was how we did worship for thousands of years. But Christ was the final sacrifice once and for all. And that's why we don't spill blood in worship anymore, because he was the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world? There he is! There he is! He's in the Gospels, the fruition of everything that we saw coming. The hope that we have in Christ is the hope of Christ. 
But not just that. Let's take it a step further. He's also in the church. He's in the church today. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are the body. Do you know what else it says? I love this. I've been a pastor for almost 30 years, 20 years as of next week in my church here in Hutchinson, and I've loved every minute of it. But here's the the worst part about being a pastor. People. People are an issue. Can I get an amen from anybody? People are an issue. I remember when I was a young pastor, and we were ordaining some deacons down in the south, the only other church I pastored. And there was a guy, and he was a part of the ordaining council. They were asking questions, and they said, okay, young man, who's the head of the church? And he's like, well, a lot of people think it's the pastor, and it ain't the pastor. And we're all like, amen, right, he's on the right track. He goes, yep, they don't know, it's the deacons. No, fire him before he gets started. That's... He's not, he's not. If the pastor is the head of your church, get out. If the deacons are the head of the church, get out. If any human being is the head of your church, get out. Because Christ is the head of the church. We are the body, and the body takes directions from the head, and we should be driven by the head of Jesus Christ only. He is in the church, and if he is not in the church, then that is not a church. If Christ isn't the head of the church, let me tell you how important the head is. Anybody ever been over the Continental Divide, I-70, taking that road? You know what I'm talking about? You get way out there, go over the Continental Divide. It's huge. Now, I, I have a little fear of heights. By saying that out loud, what it means is I have a desperate, horrible fear of heights, right? But I'm going to tell you I have a little fear of heights. And going over the Continental Divide the first time, I was a bit shocked. You want to know why? Because they don't have guardrails at the very top because they're not pretty. And it is protected so that it's this visually stunning thing. So do you know what they have? If you've been out there, they put little alpine stakes, little twigs, on the side of the road. So that if you go off the road, you at least hear, snap, right before you die. That's all they'll do, right? You're driving along, you hear, oh, no. <laughs> and I remember we're driving up over the Continental Divide, and my wife was like, this is gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Kids, look at this. And finally she says, Andy, Andy, you got to see this. Look at this. I'm like, if I look at what you want me to look at, we're going to die. Because if you're like me, wherever my head goes, that's where the car ends up going. If I look this way, we're going this way. If I look this way, I got to look this way because only the way the head is going, that's the way the rest of my body is going, and that's where the car is going. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and if he is not the head of the church, then it isn't the church at all. Y'all follow me on this? Because the way the head goes is the way that we go. And, and finally, here we go. I love this part. And he will be in the future. This one's so good, I want you to say it with me. On the count of three, we'll read it together. Ready? One, two, three. He will be. What am I talking about here? <laughs> and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Do you know what this book is? Look up there. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. I know that's crazy, isn't it? Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. This is the, the book of the end. And you say, oh, Andy, what, what are you talking about here? Is it, what, what do you mean by this? Are you, are you a pre-trib? Do you believe that everything's going to go bad before Jesus comes back? Are you a post-trib? Do you believe we have to go through it all uh, until and then he'll come back? Are you a mid-trib? Do you think he'll come back halfway through because we can only take so much? Andy, what are you? I'm a pan-tribulationist. I believe it'll all pan out the way God wants it to. 
And the reason that we have so many discussions on this, somebody's like, somebody right now is really disgusted with me that I did not take a position. You are really disgusted with me. I cannot believe I thought he was a man of God. Or studied the blah, blah, blah. You want to know why we have debates over this? Because it's not clear. That's why we have debates. If it were clear, somebody would make an argument and smart people would go, oh, yeah, and we'd be done. It's not clear. And do you know why it's not clear? Very often we see in Scripture, God doesn't give us clarity on things when he wants us to trust him in things. Let me give you an example. Corey Ten Boom. You know her. She's called the tramp for the Lord. She was this hobo for Jesus. and She was a great missionary, but she was on a train. She recalls one day that she was on a train with her dad and several other people crammed in a compartment. We don't have train experiences, so you have to imagine strangers crammed into this compartment. All their luggage is up above them, and they're just kind of you know, rocking rock along. And she had overheard the older girls at school ask a, uh, uh, a question. And so she asked her dad, loud enough for everybody there to hear. She didn't know any better. She goes, Dad, what is intercourse? For those of you who haven't taken your English class yet, that's sex, for those of you who don't know. In that cart, she says, what's intercourse? And, of course, the whole cart went, <gasps> And some of the other dads are probably like, take that, Dad. I want to see how you handle this. And Dad went, mm, just a minute. And he got up, and he took the biggest suitcase down from the overhead rack, and he put it down in the center of the cart. He goes, Corey, put that back. And she goes, I, I can't. He goes, I want you to try. So she got down, and she tried to lift it. She could barely get it off the ground. And she, and she goes, Dad, I can't do it. And he goes, and he picked it up, and he put it away. He goes, intercourse is like that suitcase. It's way too big for you right now. Why don't you let me carry that? That's a good dad right there. Isn't that good dad? That's a good dad. There are times in Scripture in which we don't have all the issues, and that's times in which God goes, I am infinite, and you are finite. I created everything and exist outside of it, and you are drawings existing in the painting. There are some things you're going to have to trust me on. Won't you let me carry that for you? Can I get an amen from anybody in the house? And when it comes to so many of these questions of revelation, it's that we don't have clarity and we argue about it. And I think the things that we argue about are silly because all they do is divide the body of Christ. And that's not even the point that I'm trying to make, but it's such a problem in our culture, I have to take this time to address it. And so when I say that I believe this, that he will be in the future, what I'm saying is that this is Jesus speaking about a time that is yet to come. And behold, I am coming soon. By the way, as he speaks these words, the imagery that we have is of a, sla a, a slain lamb. Yes, a lamb that is slain, bloodied, its throat is slit, but it is standing before the throne of God, wearing a crown and carrying a sword. And as he, oh yeah, the slain lamb, Christ himself, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words. He's coming soon. He's co There he is. He's coming soon. I, I don't know if you've looked. This world's in desperate need of a Savior. I don't know if you've looked around, but we're in desperate need of somebody to come and rescue us out of this mess. So let me just make sure that you're clear on this. He makes the I believe in all kinds of stuff that I don't understand, and one of the things that isn't clear, but I believe in, is the rapture. I believe that one day Jesus will come back. He's going to toot, we're going to scoot. That's the way that is. 
the trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend, and those who are left will be caught up to meet him in the air. It's going to be great. The dead in Christ will rise first, all that kind of stuff. We believe in the rapture so much that we bought a trampoline for the kids so we could have rapture practice. We loved it. We believe that. Do you realize that, that, that old cemeteries, if you go out in the country, you will see out in the country that old cemeteries all have the bodies buried with their heads to the west. We don't do that in the cities anymore because we've forgotten this tradition. But all the bodies were buried with their heads to the west. Do you want to know why? Because they believed it when it said that Christ would one day tear open the eastern sky. And they wanted the dead in Christ when they rose first to be sitting up and not have to turn around to see the Lord Jesus. Can I get an amen in the house? He's coming back. There he is. If I've got this right, he was here before anything was. Everything came here because he was. When everything got broken, he was the promise. And for millennia, he was evident in the prophecy and the Psalms. And then he became the Lamb of God. And now he's the head of the church. And one day, everybody say one day. No, we're going to come down. We've got to deal with some stuff here. Everybody say one day. Okay, good. See, now you're afraid. I'm going to come sit on your lap and kiss you dead in the face. That's what's going to happen. One more time. Everybody say one day. One day the trump will resound. The sky will be rolled back like a scroll. The Lord shall descend. The dead in Christ will rise. And those of us who are left here, I pray to God that I'm one that is still here. May it happen in our lifetime. May it happen in such a way that I'm preaching to a bunch of people who are sleeping or not liking it. And all of a sudden, I just disappear. My clothes drop. And may they get scared straight in Jesus' name. Can it be an amen from anybody? Oh, one day he's coming back. From the beginning before there was a beginning to the end when it's all over. When he reboots everything and there's a new heaven and there's a new earth there is one promise there is one thread there is one story there is one god there is one hope there is one reason there is one source that we should all orbit around in every part of our lives seek and it is the name of jesus jesus and so i just leave you with a one-point message if you circle anything else you're wrong I know I'm supposed to be politically correct and nice and try and get you there. Hi. I'm the guy that's just going to tell you the truth. If you circle anything else, if your life orbits anything else, you're wrong and you're destined for failure. But if you will turn and make Christ the center of it all, if you will let your life revolve around him and him alone, then you are prepared even to the end of the age. And so, let me pray for us. Here's the prayer. Wait, wait, wait. Here's the prayer. If you're already a follower of Christ, I hope this strengthens you. I hope, hope you're like, oh, that was kind of cool. If you're a follower of Christ, but you've been wandering, I hope that's like, oh, I need to get my act together. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I hope that it at least says this in you. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better thing to center my life on. And if you're in any of those categories, there's one prayer for us, and it's just a prayer of bending a knee to him. I'd like to pray it for us and ask you to join me if you would. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for things that I don't even begin to understand. But if Christ really was all of this, and he really did all of that, 
if he is the slain lamb at the throne and the one day coming king, then God, I've got no safer place to put my future. Forgive me of my sins and lead me in a better way. Let me trust you from this point forward to be Lord and Savior, for it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and all God's people say. Guys, I want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to come and be with you. And let me reiterate, don't let school and chapel be the end of your spiritual growth. There are huge opportunities, and it's not just for you, but this city and many cities need you in the faith.